welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and one of my friend's moms loves spa tang. What is spa tang? Spa tang is sea urchin. Apparently, she goes to like, she's Korean, so I mean, they eat a lot of different things, and she'll literally be in Hawaii in a uh, tide pool and see a sea urchin pull it off of the rock and crack it open and eat it i mean that's kind of cool i've never heard it called that before hardcore is what that is i'm Mm -hmm. telling you yeah i think the only other word i know for sea urchin is uni uni mm -hmm. yeah well which is like the sea urchin row yeah like for sushi and stuff yeah yeah spa tang kind of sounds like booty that you get at the spa exactly no but it's not so anyways welcome to addicted to murder um, our social media is as follows addicted to murder podcast at gmail.com. I guess that's not social media, but that's the way you can get a hold of us. Addicted to murder podcast on Facebook, addicted to M podcast on Instagram, and addicted to murder podcast on Twitter, where we still only have the two followers. Good job. You got all <laughs> of those right this time. I know. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. I um, try. Yeah. And as always, thank you everyone who listened who listened some more when we re-uploaded things it was kind of a rough week over here at at the podcast but thank you yeah I take full credit for that because it was my first time editing and um the first time we released it I didn't realize how shitty it sounded so I re-released it again and then re-released it again and I think I'm finally okay with it I'm just giving up on it but um I'm learning as I go so bear with me and it is okay if it doesn't sound perfect. It, it Well, it's not going to, but we're getting better. We're, yeah, so. Yes. Exactly. Anyways. Yeah, so I guess that leads us into our lovely question time. And it's Courtney's question today. It is. So, um, so we're recording this on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, Mother's Day. It is Mother's Day, exactly. And so in honor of Mother's Day, my question for you is to tell us a little bit about your mom oh well my mom anyone that knows my mom will agree with me that she is like an angel and um sent from heaven and that she is like the kindest person most understanding person most giving person and she's a lot of fun so I mean I don't want to brag but my mom is pretty cool and most people would agree with me that have ever met her so love you mom How about you, Courtney? Yeah, so my mom is very loving and caring and always up for helping anybody with anything that she can help with. Um, She's really good at things like math in particular. She's a bookkeeper. Mm. Um, So anything involving like finances and things like that, she's great with. um, And... Mostly what I remember about my mom, like when I was a kid, was that she was just always there. Yeah. So all of my softball games and choir concerts and weird nerdy competitions that I did, she was at every single thing. So love you, mom. Yay for moms. Our moms. In particular. I mean, there's a, we're learning about a lot of moms that aren't up to snuff, in my opinion. Right. But, you know, I'm sure that they have reasons for being that way, too. And that's what we're learning. Exactly. So we finished up with Israel Keys last week, 
And, you know, that was a biggie. That was a crazy case. It, yes, it was. And, you know, he was not as infamous, not yet anyways, as the one that you're going to, that you chose today that we're going to present on. Um, do you want to tell everyone why you chose who you chose? Yeah, so this one that I chose, I obviously knew the name or the, the moniker, uh, but I didn't actually know very many details about the case. Um, and so I figured I should probably know what those are and learn about those since we mentioned this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I chose good old Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK. Bind, torture, kill. Yes. Okay. Well, um, here we go. So we're going to talk about BTK, which, as we just said, stands for Bind, Torture, and Kill. The main resource for this episode comes from a partial autobiography of Dennis Rader. It was written by Catherine Ramsland, Ph.D., who spent six years talking to Dennis to get the information for this book. I think that she said that it was over the phone mostly. There wasn't a whole lot you could do in person with him, I guess. Yeah, and by letter. And by letter. He sent a lot of letters. Gotcha. So when you start reading this book right away, you're struck with how odd Dennis is. Odd and pompous, arrogant, but in a more annoying way than Ted Bundy was arrogant. Um, He fancies himself very self-reflective, but again, in a much more annoying way than Big Ed Kemper, who we will go over. Um, There's a reason that why... Um, I believe it was morbid when they covered this. They called him the Mr. Bean of serial killers. I really think that's an apt description of him. So hopefully we can convey this to you as well. So, Courtney, do you have anything you want to add to this pre-assessment assessment? I think, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the main thing that separates, you know, Dennis Rader from, like, Ted Bundy and Ed Kemper, um, and the thing that makes his attitude maybe so annoying is that Dennis thinks that he's smarter than most people, well, Bundy and Kemper actually were smarter than most people. Ah. <laughs> you know, he just didn't have the same level of intellect, or creativity, or that, like, natural charm mm-hmm. that, you know, other serial killers just sort of had. But he idolized them and tried so much to be like him or like them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it just kind of comes across as inauthentic. Right. Maybe that is why he just comes off as annoying. Um. So Dennis Rader was born in Pittsburgh, Kansas on March 9th, 1945, but was raised in Wichita. His mother was Dorothy, Dorothea May Cook Rader, a former cheerleader and majorette, and his father was William Elvin Rader. He was the oldest of four children. Rader said he didn't have any memories of his father until he was about three or four years old. Um, his mother told him she had fallen off a horse when she was pregnant with Dennis and also dropped him on his head when he was six months old. He turned blue, but she did not take him to a doctor. Um, he speculates that this might be what scrambled the network. That was his his words. So, Courtney, let's talk about this. Have you and your research come across any correlation with serial killers and head injuries? Um, we've all read in the paper that repeated concussions can cause more adrenaline and violent behavior to emergent athletes that we're seeing today. But can you uh, shed any insight on this? Yeah, I think this is actually a really great topic. Um, There's definitely correlation between traumatic head injuries and violent crime, particularly if the injury was to what we call the prefrontal cortex, so that front part of your brain, um, and that controls things like impulse control and problem solving and decision making. Um, So obviously, if 
you have a feeling and an impulse and you've damaged the part of your brain that helped you control that, you're more likely to act out on that. Um, and then there was a study that I was reading about um, kind of in response to this question. It was completed in 2014 um, by the University of Glasgow. And they found that out of a sample of serial and mass killers, 21% um, of them had a known like traumatic head injury. And so now, you know, the study alone is not enough to like prove any sort of causation that head injuries caused people to become serial killers. Uh, but it does suggest a pretty strong correlation. Well, that's good to know. Um, I also think it's weird that his mom didn't take him to the doctor when he was turning blue. Maybe. I feel like I mean, it was also the 1940s. And who knows? Yeah, okay. Well, he had this to say about his childhood. We all have memories of our childhood days, bits and pieces, more of a jigsaw puzzle. For as hard as we can think and try to remember, there are a lot of missing places, or pieces, sorry. He goes on to say he remembers his grandparents' house better than he recalls his own house. He also speculated that both his mom and grandmother were pleasant people, but not very present. He said it was if, as if they were very distant, possibly trying to compartmentalize their lives and were dreaming of something better. He then went on to say that it seemed as if his mom would rather do anything else than raise the children. She wasn't a friend to him. It was discovered that Dorothea suffered from postpartum depression because she wanted a daughter and got four sons. I mean, that's her reasoning, but we've talked about postpartum before. Might not be that. Dennis describes an older cousin who he considered a role model. His name was Larry, and he got more toys from his... Oh, I'm sorry. His name was Larry, and Larry got more toys um, from his folks than Dennis and his brother got from theirs. So they really liked it when Larry came around because then they could play with his toys. I bring up Larry because um, when he was little, one incident he did share about Larry was, this is a quote, my cousin and I would play or explore a creek south of Elm Street. It had some deep holes. My grandmother tells me about one day my cousin and another boy about my age went to the creek. My cousin came back, but the other boy didn't. They asked him where the other boy was, and he said, I don't know. He gone. They later found him drowned in the creek. Courtney, is it normal for Dennis to have such holes of memory in his childhood? It looks like his mom and him did not have a strong relationship. Do you have any insights you'd like to share? Yeah, so in terms of his memory, you know, it's, it's hard to say specifically if it's normal or not, as it kind of depends on what Dennis's expectations of his own memory are. You know, by the time we as humans are in our 60s, which is how old Dennis was when he was kind of writing this book, um, it's normal to have forgotten kind of most of our childhood events aside from the most formative ones um, as they've sort of essentially had to be pushed aside to make room for memories from the rest of your life. Um, so it's possible that he just thinks he should be able to remember more than he can. Um, but it is also possible that Dennis is lacking conscious memory of, you know, large period of time or experienced, you know, emotional memories without being able to identify the detail of what happened, um, which can be a result of trauma. So I suppose it's possible that Dennis experienced some early childhood trauma that his, you know, brain repressed to protect him, and he really does have no memory of it. And then, you know, regarding his relationship with his mom, if she truly did experience postpartum depression, that could have had a pretty big impact on him. Um, you know, 
like we've said before, just like quick overview. So postpartum depression can cause a person to feel detached from their infant, not be attentive or tuned in to the baby's needs, and can lead to feelings of hatred or even resentment towards the child. And so for the infant, since they're dependent on their parents, usually their mom, for everything, um, so if Dennis's mom was unable to give him comfort and the attention that he needed, that could have led to problems with attachment or being able to form healthy bonds with others. Dennis never sort of displayed the type of behaviors as a child that like of a clearly diagnosable attachment disorder, like reactive attachment or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but we will see a pathological need for attention as he grows up. What do you think about his cousin? I'm curious if I'm curious if this cousin was responsible for the death of this little boy, um, and if he exposed Dennis to dark things that helped shape him in the future. I really wish we had more information about this cousin and what happened down at the stream, you know, because maybe he did purposefully do something to that little boy, or maybe it was just a horrible accident, and the cousin, being a kid himself and afraid of maybe getting in trouble, didn't know what else to do other than just say I don't know Mm -hmm. you know and really I kind of honestly wonder if he and Dennis exposed each other to dark ideas well I mean reading that book getting and it could have been the way it was edited but I was getting the feeling that this cousin was a bad influence on Dennis but that was just my interpretation of it he didn't really say so Mm -hmm. well Dennis reflects on his first climax It involved a fantasy about his fifth grade teacher, whom he did not get along with. He said he was about 11 or 12 years old, and he snuck over to her backyard to spy on her. So already we're seeing him, you know, peeping Tom stuff. My fantasy, this is a quote, my fantasy had started. I was going to tie her up, but in the tree, hidden, I tied myself up. And the tighter I did so, the more excited I became. Then I suddenly had my first male release. I had not fondled myself, but it happened. I got a stain in my boxers that I could not remove. Mom saw it and told Dad. That sort of thing was not allowed for good Christian boys. He told me it wasn't right. I was embarrassed again. Henceforth, ropes and sexual activity of myself became my secret way of release. We had an old bed in the basement, and I would sneak down there and tie myself up and release into old clothes and tissues. So Dennis was quite young when he recollected times um, when he lived in a two-bedroom house and shared his room with two other brothers. His dad had created a small garden on the property, and they had a big water tank, possibly for cattle or a horse. And he said, later I would at times go out to the tank alone to cool off, bind myself, and think sexually thoughts. Sometimes I would tie my hands and ankles to achieve a climax. Um, just a listener's note, I'm the things I read verbatim from Dennis – don't always sound right because he didn't have the greatest grammar. <laughs> so anyways, Courtney, what are we looking at here? Masochism? What is going on with this young kid? So, I mean, Dennis is definitely starting to develop a sexual fetish, specifically around bondage. Um, and in this case, the sexual arousal comes from the act of being bound and the feeling of binding being tightened or loosened. And then, of course, from the control that bondage provides. So it doesn't necessarily have to include sexual arousal related to being in pain, which is what masochism refers to specifically. Um, And while Dennis's fantasies and engagement of bondage activity to the level he was practicing are pretty advanced for a boy of like 11 or 12, 
Um, it is pretty common for fetishes to start developing at a pretty young age. He just took it a little farther than I think most 12-year-olds would. So since we're on this subject, can you just, does masochism have to involve pain? Yes. Okay. So the idea, like, so sadomasochism is like what's put together often. So sadism mm -hmm. is deriving pleasure from other people's pain. Mm -hmm. Masochism is deriving pleasure from your own pain. Okay. So if he's not hurting himself, then this is not masochism. This is something else. Yeah. He might be hurting himself, but from what he's described, the hurt part is not the part that excited him. Mm -hmm. It so was the binding. The, the binding part. Does that have a name? Bondage. Bondage. Oh. Duh. <laughs> okay. Dennis speaks of his first real girlfriend. He felt that he loved her, but she had to move. And when she was moved, he, or when she moved, he was very upset. He said, quote, I was devastated. I never could accept rejection very well. I believe this is one of my main issues. Rejection and attention. Somehow the need for attention as a wanted and lovable child did not develop properly. So based on what he said about his mom and how she treated him, I suppose this makes sense. The next incident Dennis speaks of around this time is when he is dis when he discovers his love of starting fires. He used a cigar butt to light a cardboard box and it spread to the dry grass, which then started to race towards the houses in the area where he lived. He went he was able to get the fire out before it caused damage, but he realized that fire really excited him at that time. He was ashamed by what he had done, but he craved the feeling that starting fires gave him. So, Courtney, we have a little boy who now gets sexually excited from both fire starting and binding himself. He feels rejection very acutely and desires attention from females in his life. His mom did not seem to give him the love and attention one would think a mother should give to her sons, and he is processing this as not being lovable. What else can you tell us about what might be happening to a prepubescent dentist? Well, you know, a lot of things are happening in Dennis's mind and body around this time. He is starting the puberty process, so his body's changing, hormones are raging, and he's experiencing all sorts of sexual thoughts and feelings, including things like spontaneous erections that he has never really experienced before. You know, and he's starting to think about relationships with other people in a different way, whether that's friendships or romantically. And so any attachment wound that he may have received, like as a baby, from his mom's sort of emotional neglect would likely be popping up again and causing trouble, as it, they tend to do that during times of, like, developmental growth. Um, and then, you know, throw in some good old preteen curiosity and impulsivity, like trying to start a fire, which in and of itself is very normal for this age for boys. Fire is just, I mean, it's fascinating when you're 12. Um, still fascinating right exactly um, and so I imagine that it was a very confusing time to be Dennis in the world as far as his mom goes he had mixed up relationship uh, mixed up relationship with her he craved her approval but at the same time he felt she was a traitor he spoke of a time when his mom got her hand caught in the sofa now Dennis is unsure if she really had her hand caught or if she was testing him Apparently, her wedding band got caught on a spring in the couch, and she was crying in panic, trying to get her ha hand out of the couch, and it was stuck, and she told Dennis to go get help from the neighbor. Dennis said he was both scared but also excited. This is a quote. I had a strange feeling in the pit of my stomach and the groin area. He then would daydream about women, not his mom, um, in the same situation, stuck and panicked, unable to move. 
He also said he had the same feeling with his mother again at the top of the Ferris wheel. He described both events as, quote, it was just like before the first time I had the big G. Uh, by the way, Dennis has his own nomenclature, and it's also very annoying. So big G means first orgasm. He also calls his penis Sparky. Dennis said he started stealing at the age of five. The first time he didn't mean to steal the toy, a little boy had left his toy outside in the street. So Dennis took it home with him. But his mom got very angry with him and made him take the toy back. He got really upset with his mom because she didn't go with him to explain that he didn't mean to steal it. He was only borrowing it with the intent of bringing it back. His mom made him feel ashamed and then angry, and then he became angry with her. He then became much sneakier with his stealing. His mother further solidified his feelings of distrust towards her when she told of an um, when she told of an embarrassing incident that he and his brothers experienced to his grandparents. So, he didn't go into what that embarrassing incident was, but he was upset that she told his grandparents about it. Another humiliating humiliating time for him happened when he was ten years old. His mom told him that if he masturbates, God would kill him. Good grief. She told him that this after she found evidence of masturbation on his underwear. It was the story we had mentioned previously. She then tried to beat him, but he fought back. She then held his hands behind his back and beat him with the man's belt. He said, funny, it hurt, but Sparky liked it. Mom finally quit and said, oh my God, what have I done? She kissed me. I was close to her. Tears and moisture upon her and my cheeks. I could feel her heart beating and smell those wonderful motherly aromas. End quote. He went on to speak of times when he and his brothers would do something bad and she would hit them with a belt or a switch, but would have to chase them down first. Dennis did not like the pain from the spanking, but he liked being chased. Courtney, so more weird shit is going on with Dennis and his relationship with his mother. What can you tell us? Um, well, I guess we can see where his SM bondage fetish begins. Right. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing here is sort of the progression of the way Dennis connected shame, bondage, and then feeling loved and cared about by his mother and later by other women. You know, anybody who has spent much time around kids probably knows that if, you know, quote, good behavior doesn't get their needs met, then they will turn to, quote, bad behaviors to get the attention that they're seeking. You know, and Dennis stated that he didn't get much positive attention from his mom. Um, but learned that if he misbehaved, she would have to pay attention, first by chasing him and punishing him, and then by feeling sorry and offering that motherly comfort. So over time, I think this was connected with sexual gratification as well, where he would need the you know punishment, so to speak, before he could feel the relief. Well, just to make things even more weird, Dennis also would masturbate into his mom's panties, Courtney, what can you say about this? I guess it's safe to say that Dennis now has inappropriate thoughts about his mom. Can you tell us if you've had dealings in your line of work with children doing something like this? So, you know, using his mom's underwear for masturbation does not necessarily mean that he was having sexual thoughts about his mom. You know, in the book, he talked about having really strong feelings and being aroused by just the feel of silk or satin. And later in his life, he would actually wear women's lingerie as part of his bondage fantasies. So, you know, I have worked with some clients in the past who've engaged in this type of behavior. And while it can be a little disturbing, um, it's not terribly uncommon for young boys to be curious and to steal underwear from like an older sister or another female relative. 
because it's the idea of the girl's panties that are exciting, not necessarily like who the who owns them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. Maybe it's just because I'm not a guy, so I don't – we don't have the same urges, or at least I don't, you know. So to me it just seems like if I had a little brother, which I don't, I would be very disturbed if I found out they were using any of my stuff to sexually gratify themselves. I mean, it's gross and weird, <laughs> but like, it's not all mm-hmm. that uncommon, I right. suppose. Yep. Well, um, Dennis learned how to tie knots in the Boy Scouts. He used these knots in later crimes. He also would create hangman's nooses and use these on small animals to arouse himself. So now he's starting to torture animals, right? When he was a young teen, excuse me, when he was a young teen, he would also use the noose on himself. So Dennis was really beginning to like being tied up or seeing others tied up. The anticipation and fear was erotic to him. This is a quote. Anytime a chicken was tied up and ready to be axed, something inside of me, I had a tightness in the groin area. This is probably factor X. This is what Dennis referred to as what made serial killers differ from normal people. Death is only seconds away. They are helpless, sometimes bound around the legs and hanged. The head put into a wooden rack. When it was cut off, they ran around and blood flying everywhere. The one who holds the power of over life and death is in charge. It must be the control thing, where the object is bound and it has no control. It struggles. The spider has the fly in its web. Dennis did not care for cats, so he would capture cats and bind them, put them in sacks, and kill them. He would also do this with rabbits. So, Courtney, I don't know if it's because Dennis is such a talker, but he really seemed to get sexually triggered at a very young age by all this stuff. Any thoughts? Well, Dennis certainly seemed to be to like talking about his sexual fetishes and behaviors and fantasies. And I imagine that he found this part of his life quite interesting and believed that others would too. I mean, and he wasn't wrong about that. People have been fascinated by his, you know, sexual practices, things like that. Um, that being said, he was clearly displaying hypersexuality, so which is a, a preoccupation with and excessive engagement in sexual behaviors from a very young age. Um, and then by his early teens, he had clearly made a connection in his mind between sexuality, bondage, and the act of killing, and had started to experiment on himself and find ways to practice bondage on others by using animals like cats and rabbits. And while, you know, there's no information as to whether or not Dennis wet the bed, um, he is showing the other two behaviors of the McDonald triangle, the fire setting, and cruelty to animals. I don't know if he would, like, tell people if he wet the bed or not. I don't know if he'd be embarrassed by that. I I can't tell with him. Um, I don't know. Uh, That book, though, is very interesting, and, like, the the first couple pages is just a glossary of his terms. So, like, when I was writing this up, I'd have to go back and look at what it went, you know? It was, um, what is that Shakespeare thing, the book that you – I know this. Like, you have to go look up the Shakespeare terms. It's a – if anyone can remember that, just let us know in the email, and I will I will remember it as soon as we're done with this, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Anyways. I mean, he really liked to communicate in code, mm-hmm. and um, so mo- many of his letters and stuff to... Um, Lexicon, right? Yes. Sorry, sorry, I didn't interrupt. <laughs> I knew it would come to me. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, like, he 
liked to create his own code. And that's essentially what he did when he was communicating with the, the doctor who was helping him with this book. Yeah. Um, the first thing she had to do was like decode his messages so she could know what the heck he, she was talking about. I wonder if it's like that's just how his mind works or if he was trying to be clever. What do you think? Mm, little from column A, little from column B. Yeah. Well, we're going to stop at that um, point today, and then we'll pick up with Dennis more in his teen years next week. Um, So, as always, please listen, like, follow, tell your friends, subscribe, all that good stuff. We really, really appreciate you, and have a safe and happy Mother's Day. Well, this will be Tuesday when it comes out. Have a safe and happy week. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.